Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Tell us about Lucy and how she took you on the journey to found Lucy's project. Um, So at the time that I was pregnant with Lucy, I'd heard about these amazing women that were trying to raise awareness of the link between domestic violence and animal abuse. And they were failing to get any traction or recognition or get the project off the ground. And I just thought, wow, what an amazing project these people are working on. And trying to, you know, this is a really important cause. This really matters and this, this, this could be a game changer. And then unfortunately, um, I found out at that full term that, that Lucy had died and that I had to, to, to give birth to my stillborn, firstborn child. And uh, it was an unimaginable horror and pain and difficult time and it, it took a while for you know um for for her to be born actually and and during that time of just trying to find within me the strength to go through that period I, I thought well you know what I could take that project and put all my energy into that project turn it into something in Lucy's name and just make it big you know make it my my life's work and this is how I could raise my daughter. This is how her, she wouldn't die in vain. And to turn something that had been such darkness and such pain into something beautiful and into something so positive in her name. And I think for me that the symmetry of the project just really resonated and really helped to comfort me during those, those dark days of knowing that this project is one that would protect animals. And I've been working with animals my whole life and, and as an animal advocate. And it's, you know, it's what I eat, sleep and breathe. And then to be another to protect other vulnerable women because I knew that I was nurtured and supported through that horrible time. But that not every woman is and not every woman has a support network to fall back on and that I had that privilege and I believe in paying it forward. And then to also be able to protect innocent children. And obviously, you know, Lucy is, is the most innocent of, of children and um, I thought, what if I could save a life in her name? What if one child didn't have to die because she did? And it just gives me a tremendous amount of, of strength. And, and I often say this is how I raise my daughter. Um, this, this is how I, I keep her as a, as a part of my life. And so that's what Lucy's project is. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's my daughter. It's my daughter keeping, keeping the project going. Welcome to Freedom of Species. Uh, we're a show bringing animal advocacy to the airwaves, broadcasting from the 3CR studios in Melbourne, Australia, and streamed live via the 3CR website. Uh, we're dedicated to raising awareness about issues concerning animals. So thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Townsend, and today I am delighted to welcome Anna Ludwig, founder of Lucy's Project, who is in town for a couple of days busy organising a conference 
later on in the year concerning the links between animal abuse and domestic or family violence. Thank you for making time to join us today, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, because I know you're a very busy woman and there's lots of lovely eatery crawls uh, you could be doing around Melbourne's vegan (laughs) restaurants, so (laughs) glad you weren't tempted away. Now, before we get started, to give us some nuts and bolts, RE domestic violence and animal abuse, the links there, I'm going to play an audio grab from the My Saving Grace website. In Australia, we love our pets. In fact, 63% of us have a pet. This is one of the highest rates of pet ownership in the world. Despite this, all kinds of animals in both rural and urban areas are often abused in domestic violence situations. 70% of women reporting domestic violence incidents said their abusers hurt, killed or threatened their pets. This is a way to exert power and control. Abusers manipulate the strong emotional connection between owners and their pets. Up to 48% of women are too scared to leave their violent partner for fear of what will happen to their pet. This number jumps to 68% when the pet has previously been abused. Children are also directly affected. Children who witness animal abuse can suffer long-term psychological effects and are more susceptible to becoming perpetrators of both animal cruelty and domestic violence later in life. And on top of this, only a few domestic violence refuges in Australia offer a safe haven for both families and their pets. Recognising and acting on the link can save lives. Animal abuse is known to be one of the top three indicators that the abuser will go on to kill their partner. So remember, when animals are abused, people are at risk. When people are abused, animals are at risk. Make the link. Act for animals. Change the story. Call 1-800-RESPECT if in danger. So that was an audio grab from some video on the My Saving Grace website, uh, which tells a story about this whole area with a lot of clarity, statistics and many personal accounts showing this link. Anna, many people still look perplexed when I mention the link between domestic family violence and animal abuse. The two are still perceived, I think, as very separate issues in many minds. Why, why do you think that is? I think it's definitely the case that it's seen as two separate issues when it's put like that, animal abuse and domestic violence, because we, what have they got to do with each other? How could, how could they possibly be interrelated? But I actually believe ours is an, what I call an aha cause. So as soon as you actually explain it, and you make explicit, well, look, if you think about it, domestic violence victims, you know, as the Grab said, you know, 63% of Australian households have a companion animal, then you start to go, oh, of course there are animals involved. Of course those people would have, would have animals involved. And it starts to become really obvious. It becomes one of those, oh, you know, it was just not, I just hadn't thought about it. 
And so I have that reaction quite commonly when I put it to people that they go, it's just not something that I've thought about to this moment. But now that you've put it to me, it's obvious. And that's a lot of what our work is, is getting that out there so that people go, yeah, that's really obvious. And now I feel like I'm empowered to to do something about it or to think about it. But before that, it almost seems like perhaps a tenuous link before it becomes an obvious link. Yeah. Secret in plain sight. Even people with dogs and cats in their family, when I talk to them, it's almost part of that cognitive dissonance that, you know, people speak about, isn't it? It's like you just don't, you know, do the math. Just just haven't thought about it. And so what I, I have a really common experience of happening is people go, what on earth could there, how on earth could there be a link? And then I tell them, they go, oh, yeah. And that reminds me of this story that I have. My neighbor had this or my sister or my partner. And they always have a story. People always have a story about animals that have been abused alongside a human or instead of a human to abuse you know to you know, psychologically control a human victim and and they just haven't realized it it's not something that's been brought to the front of their consciousness and that's mm. what a lot of our work is doing is is just going you know you actually do know about this and there is actually some things that you can do about this so let's start those conversations so why should we be caring focusing highlighting this link more well we should because, you know, for the reason we're just talking about, it's not something that people have made the connection about. And, and as long as we're failing to address the animal victims of domestic violence, animal, human, often women, and, and mostly women, and, and children's lives are at risk. There's an increased incidence of homelessness, which occurs when there's nowhere for animals to go. The burden on rehoming shelters and on surrendered shelters is just enormous. The dumping of animals, euthanasia of animals is increased when there's nowhere for the animals to go. And what I hear very commonly from women who've been forced to surrender their animals against obviously their you know, their desires to, to do so is it's a lifelong trauma that that human victim is obviously it's lifelong for the animal also but the human victim has lifelong traumas from having to surrender an animal that has often been the only one that really knows what's been going on in the family and especially in the case of dogs often their protector often the one that saved their life in many instances they've had to often you know surrender these animals to shelters where they've been euthanized or rehomed and they never see them again and that that's that's lifelong trauma in itself and I think as well we need to raise awareness of the very special trauma that is suffered by children when they witness abuse against animals and we need to have responses prepared for how we're going to handle, you know, children have a, a very special imaginative relationship with an animal and it, it attacks them not only in a traumatic, they, they will relate to animals before they relate to adults. And so you're hitting them in a very important part of, of their cognitive and their, their psychological and their imaginative development. And that can be something that goes on to have lifelong effects for, for that individual. As a child, to unpack that more is that they have the fur companion, whether that be cat, dog, guinea pig, horse, horse, whatever, as a place of refuge in a violent household. So there's a real companionship there and if that's taken away from them as well, you're actually taking away a potential healing, uh, a very important part of their healing process once they escape the household the animal can be safely refuged as well and they can be reunited as a family. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Uh, children are taught not to love animals. T- children love animals instinctively. So when a child is born often, people give them a teddy bear 
and they'll give them, you know, we watch children's programs and there's that anthropomorphic image constantly of, you know, animals that talk to children because children listen to animals and children have a natural affinity to animals. So often when an animal is abused in front of a child, it's like abusing the child themselves directly. Um, and it's, you know, they, they feel like, I suppose they feel like they're on the same level as animals often. So they feel like they are at greater risk and they feel like the trauma, the psychological trauma is inflicted upon them directly. And they wow. they can and it also teaches them disrespect. It teaches them to disrespect animals, that animals are lesser beings and that, that they can then go on to as the the grab said, the my saving grace grab said, and they go on to be animal abusers or perpetrators of domestic violence themselves as adults. But often it's more of a deep and unspoken trauma that you know needs to be addressed. It's that's that's you know another part. You are on Freedom of Species Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves on three CR eight double five AM. I am speaking with Anna Ludwig, the founder of Lucy's Project, helping to make some great changes in the area of. Links between domestic violence, family violence and animal abuse. I might just play another snippet of a very brave woman who's come forward and shared her story on the My Saving Grace website. This is Tracy. And thank you very much, My Saving Grace. Mm, absolutely. In hindsight now, I recognise it was a tactic used to control our behaviour and get us to obey him um, Otherwise, there'd be dire consequences. That pretty much was the start of the control, um, excessive control and force. It's hard to explain how you you can keep with this person after this abuse when you've watched them do that to animals. Um, but it does, it highlights just how cold and calculating they can be. This shows that it's very real. It's not just a fluffy concern again. It's actually the central reason why family violence victims stay with a perpetrator for a long time, resulting in dire consequences and creating physical and emotional scars. The research from the 2008 paper that resulted from work by Judy Johnson from Victoria's Edvos and Anne Valent, Professor Eleanor Galoni and Professor Graham Coleman at Monash were involved with that. 33% of women delayed leaving the violent relationship due to safety concerns for the pet. 53% of women in violent relationship had pets hurt or killed. For a lot of people, domestic violence is, is a secret or it's a sense of source of, of private shame. And the companion animal is a source of great comfort to them. And knowing that perpetrators often threaten the animals as a means of controlling the victim. If you try to leave me, I'll, I'll hurt the pet or hurt the pet and say, try to leave me and I'll do that again to the animal. So it's a way of, of hiding the abuse further. And then if a, a victim decides to leave the violent situation and there's nowhere to go, they're trapped and one of the most dangerous times for a victim to leave is when they either leave or when they return. And then knowing that, that neither of those are going to be possibilities without surrendering the animal, it keeps them trapped in that cycle, knowing full well that the perpetrator's done it before and will do it again or is threatened, often very graphically, what they're going to do. Often there's many animals in a house and we hear of, I mean, I won't be too graphic on air, but horrible stories about how animals are slowly tortured and killed 
in front of victims. Do this, you know, if you leave me or if you don't do what I say, the other animals will get what this one got. Uh, in case of multiple animals. And so it, it does make people very, very afraid to leave because the, the emotional trauma, the psychological trauma of knowing that they're what they perceive as responsible for those actions towards their beloved animals. It's like their autonomy is completely robbed Absolutely. of um, in a decision-making process. And walking away from your home, from your possessions, often your community, your support networks to get yourself somewhere safe with absolutely nobody by your side is daunting. It is terrifying. But to know that you've got a companion animal with you, we know that assistance dogs are increasingly being used as a way of helping traumatise people through traumatic situations. They're increasingly being used in court systems. They're being used for children that have experienced trauma to be able to talk more freely because children can talk more freely to animals than they can to adults. Assistance dogs are being used with people with autism, with people with um, intellectual disabilities, with communication difficulties. We know that animals are a great source of comfort to humans and then for a domestic violence victim to then walk away from that comfort is often a life for them not worth living. They'd rather stay where they are, stay, protect their animals, stay with their animal than to leave. And knowing that they have to leave their animals in a shelter, knowing often that these are kill shelters because they don't have known kill shelters everywhere in the country, it's just something that they don't feel prepared to live with. 3CR, in-depth interviews that give a voice to the issues that are often unheard. You are on Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves. I am speaking with Anna Ludwig, the founder of Lucy's Project, helping to make some great changes in the area of links between domestic violence, family violence and animal abuse. The sharing of personal stories is out there now. How important do you think that is, that we're getting these stories and we're hearing the heartbeats behind the statistics? Why is that important? Oh, I mean, stories and pictures really bring to life statistics. I mean, to hear something like 53% is, is alarming, but then to hear an individual story helps people to relate to those statistics and helps people to understand what individual cases might look like. And it really, stories really do help to connect people and help us to connect to truth and uh, I think those stories can be very powerful and especially with you know images as well that people start to to see themselves and to hear a little bit of themselves in those stories and we we can empathize more when we hear those direct stories so projects like My Saving Grace and there's the Loving You Loving Me exhibition out of South Australia um, and a collection of stories you know the, the, the bravery that it takes to share your story those women and, and sometimes men astound me and their courage inspire me and their courage to, to come forward and, and talk about it. it it's hard to talk about it's very hard to talk about it's very hard to talk about it's excruciating to listen to sometimes isn't it but it's mm. something that we must not be judgmental about either because I understand this happens obviously across the socioeconomic realm are there any stories you would like to share with us today I, I always have the problem of, of wanting to tell them all because yeah. if anyone's had the bravery to tell me their story, I, I feel like <laughs> I want to give them the voice. But there's always going to be some that'll, that'll stay with me. Just a trigger warning here. Anna is about to tell us a couple of stories that, that may be very disturbing for people. So just remember the numbers if you have any uncomfortable feelings. 
That is Lifeline 13114 and also 1800RESPECT if you are in danger yourself. Yeah, just flicking through some of the ones been going through my mind. You know, I know that a, f- a friend of mine tried to report her next-door neighbour during a violent attack and the police turned up on their door and... and um, and so as a as punishment for her having called the police, he turned around and slaughtered all her chickens in, in her yard and um and left them on the doorstep and said this is this is what's gonna happen to the rest of your animals if you if you ever try to report this again. So people are you know, innocent bystanders or, or, or witnesses as well being targeted. I know of there oh, some a harrowing story actually that I heard of relatively recently which really had a profound impact on what I did next was out of a I'll, I'll try to keep details as limited as I can to protect people's identities but it was in a, in a country town and um, not dissimilar from the one that I live in and uh, a woman was was almost beaten to death many of her animals were, were were slaughtered in front of her but she was able to hold on to the farm when he was eventually sent to jail and he was up for parole and she had nowhere to take the animals and she didn't know where he was and the police had her on surveillance because they knew as soon as he got out of jail he'd come back and kill her and um the police missed it he he got past town they they realized that he'd gotten past one of the cars they that they'd, they'd called out they'd called the networks in they all raced out to get there but he got there half an hour before they were able to arrive and they they found her tied to the fence uh and and slaughtered the animals were slaughtered in front of her and then and then, and then she was was killed tied to the fence and mm. and i just wonder if we if there was somewhere that she could have gone if there was a refuge that she could have gone with her animals would she but she'd lost so much by that stage she'd given away so much of her life that she wasn't going to let him win she wasn't going to just keep running she wasn't going to flee she was going to stay and fight and she was going to she was going to stand by them to the death and I found that a particularly haunting story because I it just made me think what can we do what what can we change so that so that you know she she could have Kept, yeah. kept those animals safe. Um, and there's another story I think that probably coloured me, my my early sort of movements is of a, um, a, a great Dane that used to um, throw himself between the, the victim and the perpetrator uh, and take the, take the body blows to save the life of the human victim. He almost died himself several times and then ultimately um, he... Um, a particularly vicious attack. The perpetrator threw the dog out the window and threw the victim after after him, and the, the dog lost its life, standing, throwing his entire body over over the the human victim until until he, he lost his own life. But it was in public, so by that you know it was out the street. So about that time, the police were called. But the bravery of that dog to repeatedly put himself in harm's way to protect his his human. I think this is a. I think when people people speak quite freely about animals being, I always choke a bit when I tell stories. But uh, I think people can say quite easily and quite freely that animals are part of the family and that we love our pets or our companion animals in the same way that we love our children. Sometimes we say, and yet we've got to ask what that means when it comes to domestic violence. We've got to ask if we if we mean that if we really are prepared to stand by that saying when it's when it comes to domestic violence are we prepared to look after the companion animals as much as we're able 
we're prepared to to recognise that the human victims deserve respect. And I think that's kind of at the heart of these stories is understanding Mm. how intrinsic those animals are to the functioning of the family. Lydia Tong in 2015, who's has been very much part of Lucy's project, had some extra research done and when leaving their animals, 92% of women were turned away from refuges because they had the animals. 70% were turned away from government housing, 60% from private residences and 33% were turned away from family, staying with family and friends and getting that uh, refuge this is an area that Lucy's project has heavily been involved in correcting, as I understand, it, to get the places of refuge there, get all the frontline services out there so people can access. Mm, that's right. What, 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 uh, get their exit plans sorted. Mm. I think we might take a bit of a breather now. It's oh, excruciating yeah. <laughs> stuff to listen to, but please listen to it because it's really essential for the community to, to hear this because whether you like animals or not, you're fond of them or not, um, you know, there's also, you know, 99% of animal cruelty offenders have been shown to go to commit an assault, commit sexual, 17% to commit sexual abuse. Sorry to throw these statistics out there, but they're just there. But it Hard to hear, but it's that bigger umbrella issue you touched on before about animal cruelty. Got to take it really seriously across the board because they're red flags, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. I want listeners to understand as well, there's so much that we can do. There's yeah. such a positive side to this story and there's you don't want to sh- get bogged down in the, the pain yeah. of it because there's such an empowering story to hear. Yeah, so what we're going to do now is we're going to come around the other side and let the light shine again. <laughs> <Excellent>. <laughs> we're going to take a breather and we're going to play a beautiful song by Nina Simone that you chose today and it's called, what's it called? Ain't Got No. Ain't got no. And uh, why did you choose that song, Anna? Oh, look, it's a song that I, the first time I heard, I thought that's an anthem right there. These, oh. these, are, word, these are words to live by. Okay, enjoy. That was a lovely tune uh, by Nina Simone called Ain't Got No, Ain't Got No Life. Oh, no, Ain't Got got No. no. I Got Life. I Got Life, baby. So (laughs) she's helped us turn the corner there and talk about the illumination, the light, the hope, all the good stuff that's happening uh, in regards to domestic violence and animal abuse and the links there and how people are acting to improve this space. My guest is Anna Ludwig, the founder of Lucy's Project. What is the role of Lucy's Project, Anna, apart from awareness raising in all this as the topic crosses a, a lot of landscapes? Well, when I started Lucy's Project in, in 2013, there wasn't a network, there wasn't a national movement. 
And so one of the most important things that um, Lucy's project did in the early days and continues to do is to create a place for us to have conversations and discussions and to share resources. So what I heard a lot in the, the early days was, oh, I thought I was the only one that knew. I thought I was the only one that cared. And so there were a lot of organisations doing things but just assuming that, that we were all alone. So bringing us together has really fortified the movement um, it's created a movement and a lot of organisations have found that's been the thing that has enabled them to flourish. So, in, for example, the My Saving Grace project uh, was starting to come together at about the same time that Lucy's project was coming together and they were, you know, we worked quite closely and, you know, they'd often call me and say, look, you know, what's the latest? And I'd say, oh, there's this person doing this and that person's doing this and there's a story for you and they'd often go and chase the stories that, that we were able to put them in, in touch with and, and then create my saving grace. So we worked very closely together for a number of years on the, on that project, and as a consequence of that, a lot of alliances were formed. Uh, a lot of people are now working together, knowing who the other one is, and we're often invited to to panels and forums where we can speak together from a range of different perspectives and that's really important because there's so many perspectives to what we do there's no one single solution to any of these problems and it's it's wonderful to be able to engage people in that way so often people will come to me and say listen we'd like to make our facility animal friendly how do we go about doing that where can we start you mean at the refuge or at the, the refuge or yeah or yeah. you know from a variety or transitional homes or from long-term accommodation and, you know, how can we do this? What can we do? And so we can get people in touch with people that have done it uh, and help them, you know, to get around roadblocks. And so we've held we've held two conferences and quite a number of meetings for people to come together and to share how they've done their projects, which has just been really powerful. And it gives the movement a lot of confidence and it inspires them to go on and, and, and you know, to apply for grants, to put to have the language, the knowledge and the skills, resources statistics behind them to put forward successful grants and, and to work collaboratively to, to make more shelters. And we have seen, since Lucy's project started, a lot more refuges and shelters co-house and transitional houses, houses that now co-house and increasingly so. So it's starting to gain a lot of traction in Australia. And I don't ever take direct credit to that. What it is about is about empowering organisations to do the work that they want to do and for helping those often, often it's one voice in a committee, often it's one person um, that says, you know, what about this? And then to be able to empower that person to, to bring resources and ideas to the table that people can adopt and they can take on board. And that, that's a really powerful aspect of, of what Lucy's Project's been able to achieve, bringing people together. And we have such enormous goals in how that aspect of what we do can grow and can better service Australia to have a coordinated um, and, and fully resourced movement. I was lucky to go to the first two conferences and there was a lot of electricity there, a lot of constructive mingling going on. You had people from the front line, so you had police police people, you had welfare workers, people on the front line from all aspects dealing with this issue. You had animal welfare agencies. I think it helps people to feel connected to a movement. They don't feel like they're standing up there on their own. They know there's a team behind them that support them and they know that there's people that believe them. You know, we believe your stories, we've heard your stories and we're, we're standing behind you and say this is an example as opposed to you have to prove something. And that's a very important difference. Rather than people saying there's a link, trust me, because it happened to me, they're saying there's a link, here's an example. And that's a completely different shift in, in the way that we start to think about these issues. 
And you've been to schools, is that right? You've been to uh, uh, invited yeah. to panels and some wonderful stuff's happened there. Can yeah. You, yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. There's an amazing student at um, Trinity Grammar School in Sydney who decided as part of his international baccalaureate to focus on the issue of animals and domestic violence. And, and he, he's Carl Corey's his name, and he brought together a whole bunch of, of Year 12 students and sat them down and got them thinking not only about domestic violence and how that affects animals but about their own behavior and their own attitudes towards animals and it was such an inspiring day to be at there was myself there was the new south wales rspca and there was lydia tong and my saving grace came along as well to film the day a lot of the the boys said oh you know now that you've put it to me i think that i you know i think i could have been better to my cat I wish that I'd been better to my cat. And other boys saying, well, what can I do? I think it's time that men took more of a leadership role in in speaking up and and speaking up to our friends when they're not being right. This has really moved me. And a lot of them went away really inspired. And it was just a fantastic project to see young male leadership on this issue and men, men, men taking this up. And I am increasingly seeing that. And that is, I think, one of the most heartening and exciting parts is seeing the community own it and move forward with it and he continues to be a passionate force and his mother is as well and so it's always inspiring when you see young people and teenagers leading the way forward for, for the older generations and and to, to get in there to the schools is inspiring and even in the more privileged schools because it's even less spoken about sometimes there's almost a greater sense of shame that wow. they can't admit I can't admit that it's happening to them also and, and so it's really great to illuminate and to make it a safe pace for people from every part of society to stand up and, and start talking about. You are on Freedom of Species, Animal Advocacy on the Airwaves on 3CR 855am. I am speaking with Anna Ludwig, uh, the founder of Lucy's Project, bringing about a lot of awareness and helping to make some great changes in the area of links between domestic violence, family violence and animal abuse. What other developments have happened in the last couple of years that tells us things are improving in this area? I think there's something in the police force, is that right? That Yeah, so the yeah. police now ask if there's any animals at risk as part of their standard questions when they're called to a domestic violence crisis okay. uh, to address that. And there's been some amazing police officers that have actually gone and taken the animals when the perpetrator's taken away off the victim's not able to to take the animal because it's not always a clean cut you know if if the victims end up in hospital and the perpetrators end up you know being detained well who takes the animal so there's amazing amazing I think it's pause and recover in New South Wales that that they will just take the animals on a on a temporary foster basis until they're able to be rehomed temporary crisis foster organizations are growing around the country and they're an incredibly important part because historically we've People have just relied on surrendering the animals because it was essentially the only option. So there's an amazing program that I'm becoming increasingly involved with in South Australia called Safe Pets, Safe Families. Okay. That are a crisis, a crisis network for animals. And they're expanding across the country now for, for temporary refuge. Uh, and we're looking to bring one of those chapters up where we are in New South Wales uh, and support them and, and to help other organisations to also set up that kind of system in the area that they're in. So there's, there's just so much growth. I wish that I had a, a more effective database to tell you just how many new co-housing facilities there are. Edvos has, has announced... I've got to be careful what I say on radio, actually. You know, naming organisations, you've got to be very careful. They are also increasingly offering more services animals and and humans and the rspca as well are, are increasingly doing more work in this field 
It's, it's one of those things that I want to talk about so much more than I do as well, but I'm very, yeah. very conscious of, of people's safety and confidentiality yeah. and you never know who's listening. <laughs> I'm always yeah. a bit careful what I say. But, uh, yeah, so we're working with a lot of shelters that are looking to, to do things a little bit differently. And another one of the stories that sort of broke my heart recently, I, I spoke to a, 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 um, a local uh, rehoming facility near where I live and, and she told me, the owner told me, that 50% of the animals that have surrendered them are, are fleeing domestic violence. And this shelter is overrun. There's not enough room to put all the animals. She's desperate to always find good homes for them, very careful which homes they go to, and she's a no-kill shelter. But 50% of their animals are coming from domestic violence. And she said to me, and I don't want to take them because I know that the, that the humans don't want to surrender them. I know that they want to stay with their animals, but there's no way that they can do this, and we need, we need a solution. And that's what really got me thinking, right, it's time for a national strategy and it's time for a regional strategy of how we're going to um, help animals and their humans stay together. So there's been doing a lot of work now on, on help animals and humans stay together. But a lot of the organisations that are active around Australia did come from, from victims and from survivors. And, and I'm always getting on the Lucy's Project you know, I'm always getting feedback from Lucy's Project. You know, this happened to me 30 years ago. I've never forgotten the trauma. I'm so glad that someone's finally speaking up about this because it's, you know, it really, really affects people and moves a lot of people to change. Let's go over a few more things about Lucy's Project and what you want to still do. What's the, what's the pathway forward apart from creating more refuges that people can take refuge in with their animals and get increased foster networks for them to be able to do so so there's there's so many yeah there's Mm. so many aspects to responding to the crisis as i said at the beginning of the interview there's no there's no one response so there's always unfortunately going to be a need for animal like for shelters for animal shelters that when when animals and and humans cannot stay together and um, there needs to be more funding and more support going to those shelters at the moment it's just because it's not something we recognize it's something that we just expect them to do without support often these animals are quite traumatized um, and they do need extra care and support and so that that's one aspect there is um, obviously a lot of people don't want to leave their home they want to stay in their home they need to be safe in their home and we need to address why those issues we looking at the the foster care networks uh, what we how we how we're able to keep animals and humans together through temporary crisis support there is we need to help frontline services be trained what do you do i mean okay there's by frontline services can you just tell the listener what who they are yeah so the people that are there at the time of the crisis so the people that are right there so social workers or police or other types of support workers who witness or there at the time of the crisis it's easy for them not easy but it's one thing to say, be aware, and it's another thing for them to know how to handle it and to know who to call and, and, and how to support that person and what that animal may or may not need. And there's a lot, there's, there's a lack of training there at present for frontline services to know how to help when they want to help. So apart from just noticing the, that, oh, there's an animal there, there's looks like a bit of cruelty. Yeah. What yeah. they need to do with that. Yeah. information yeah and increasingly we're starting to hear from professions that incidentally hear about domestic okay. violence and one of the big groups of those professionals is vets so an animal presents to a uh, veterinary surgery and it's obviously a an intentionally inflicted injury 
or a, a violently inflicted in, in you know any any vet that hears my dog fell off the bed and broke his leg knows that that injury most definitely did not happen from the dog falling off bed dogs jump off beds all the time it's not that high it's not that dangerous uh so what do you do there's an animal there um the animal's been harmed there's a person that's brought it in probably not the perpetrator probably a person that's at risk so if that person the person's been at risk to bring the animal in for treatment the person if it's known that there's a traumatic injury that 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 human could themselves be at risk but the human is probably well has been exposed to violence and possibly even personally exposed what do you do if you're a vet and you've heard about it how do how do you respond how do you handle that animal if you keep that animal in over for observation um and that's then going to put the human at at, at further risk because then they're going to be found out that they've sought veterinary help how do you handle that situation and so that's something that we'll be handling this year at the conference as well as helping vets as frontline service to, to, to manage to, to, to have the tools to know what to do in those circumstances. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's like, I know at your last conference, it, it was mentioned that, okay, so when you go and see a GP in the human sense, they're mandatory, it's mandatory for them to report signs of uh, child abuse. Yeah. So those channels are there and those those plans, that training is in place for our GPs. Is it kind of copying that system for... Well, vets I mean, almost, if there's... Yeah, and that's a really important question that vets have been asking. Um, okay. Vets that are educated on this and these issues have been asking, should vets be mandatory reporters? Are they obliged to mandatory report? Um, and if so, how does that? what does that look like and how do, how do we make that happen? And if not, what are their alternatives and, and what kind of... What, what can they do? Um, how can they help the human and the animal victim to be safe in that time? So, And it's easy to say that we'll set up a referral pathway, i.e., you, know, you call this number and they do it. But Australia works on state-based systems and then you've got regional resources and then you've got lots of, re- you know, where's the overlap? Like, it's very complicated. There's a lot of work there in, in how vets can, who do vets call, how do they get help? And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of knowledge there to build. They're just one of the many professions that are starting to ask these, increasingly asking these more complex questions. And then people that you wouldn't even think of, like hairdressers. A lot of people confide in their hairdressers. And I know Ed Voss is starting to do campaigns to help hairdressers that have disclosed all kinds of personal information about people's lives and they don't know what to do with that information. So a lot of that is helping people to learn what they can do and, and, and how, they, how to respond. Next, what to do next? A lot of training. Mm. Wow. So that gets gets us to the actual conference that you're busy organising for later in September. November. Oh, sorry, November in Melbourne. Yes. Would you like to talk about that and how people can get involved, help out? Absolutely, absolutely. The more hands on deck, the better. And spread the word, say that we're having it on the 17th and 18th of November. Get in touch with me at info at lucysproject.com. If you're um, interested in becoming involved or you'd like to attend or help us organise it, this year we've got a very strong focus on um, strategic and practical approach to how to handle the problem. So as I was speaking before, there's so many different aspects and so many different approaches that it's needed. We're very careful to make sure that we're working collaboratively with each strata of that of that plan. Um, and so it's about coming together and going, right, how are we working together? Where do we need to do more work? How can we do that work better? Um, how can, you know, what do we need to make happen to make all the pieces fall together so that we've got a complete 
package of, of resources, a complete toolkit that we can offer to, to victims at the time of crisis uh, and, you know, and, and moving forward until they're in permanent safe accommodation. So that's what the conference, you know, the, the first conference was bringing people together. The second was looking at how um, effectively that's been done overseas and take, taking inspiration from those that have, have, have done it abroad. Um, and this one is is very much about, right, let's get it happening. Let's, let's move things forward on the ground and, and have a real working strategy across Australia. Um, so we're really we're, we're interested in hearing from organisations as well that would like to present uh, on, on their strategic plans and how they've put that into place. Um, and uh, we hope that people that come that would like to get involved would be people would be willing to turn up and, and have their hands ready to put up to get involved in these projects where there's just so much that can be done. Even if they haven't got expertise in any of these areas or knowledge, are you looking for volunteers for the actual weekend as well? That would be Admin, great. Admin, reception, That'd stuff like terrific. that as well. Absolutely terrific. Yep. Help us with fundraising, help us raise awareness, help us get the word out there to people and then help us do the work when, you know, after the, con- the conference generates an amazing amount of work, an amazing amount of, of projects like be on hand, be be ready to help where required. I keep a database of people prepared to help and then when I hear of people, you know, appropriate projects, I can, can point them in the right direction. But coming along to the conference is the best way to make those con- connections yourself, to come along and you'll hear somebody speak and there's plenty of time for you to, you know, breaks during the conference thinking, hey, I'd really like to get involved in what you do. That really resonated with me. I really like what you're doing. What can I, these are my skills. How can I help? And that's how a lot of these organisations are growing uh, and it's so important. I mean, Lucy's project is about our members, essentially. It's about our member organisations that are there doing a lot of the frontline work and really helping them to empower themselves. So you can uh, first cab off the rank, so to speak. You can become a member Absolutely. of Lucy's project. Anyone. Absolutely. A, yeah. yeah, so it's $20 a year membership and there's all kinds of membership benefits for that, including being able to vote and help us shape our policies for the future. Excellent. Um, and often... Um, it gives you access to members-only resources and we have a lot of discussions that um, you can participate in uh, online and, and otherwise and growing constantly. I mean, we are not one of the big well-known causes. We do not, we're not a very well-funded organisation and we really depend on our members to keep the organisation flowing and we're growing so fast at the moment. So it's a really exciting time to become a member. You've pretty much been working on this full-time apart from your other jobs, <laughs> but this year you're really, really working pretty yeah. much yeah. full-time with it. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's, yeah. it's been a really exciting, it's been really exciting. I, my contract ended in my, I was on rolling contracts and my last contract ended at the end of last year and I thought, you know what, I can't handle Lucy's project in my spare time. I used to do 20 to 30 hours a week after my full-time job. I was like, I, I can't do that anymore. It's, I, I'm running out. It, it's too big now. It, this is, you know, there's too much. I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to throw myself into it completely and see if this can be my full-time job. And as soon as I started doing that, it was amazing, the response. It's just been going, it's been going so well and it did need that. It did need somebody there at the helm full-time. Still not able to, to get paid. <laughs> so at some point that's gonna I'm gonna have to solve that dilemma but but um but you know I won the um New, uh, the Lismore City Council Citizen of the Year award which is fantastic which was totally yeah. unexpected yeah. um and you know just such a shock you know I've just thrown myself into it and and to be recognized by a mainstream award just lets me know how much this movement's gaining traction and and, and people are starting to understand the movement which is so important and as a consequence there's been so much media you know the ABC MBN 
I mean, on radio, television, it, it's been terrific to to get the word out there, and it's kept me very, very busy. So this this is what I wanted to happen, and I'm mm. very excited about this year's conference and the opportunities that'll be available for our delegates, as well as our strategic policies and building the crisis support networks and all the other <laughs> projects that I've overcommitted myself with in 2018, 2019. Congratulations on your work. You've certainly. Um Boy, you've exposed me to so much information that um, when I came across Lucy's project that I didn't know of, which really helps illuminate at the end of the day our relationship with animals and say this is a really big issue. It's Mm. not just sorted behaviour that happens elsewhere. This is a community issue. We need to act on it. So thank you very much for that information. And, um, yeah. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening and thanks to everyone that has listened throughout this. It's so important to get the message out there. We need to understand that this is not this is not just a trivial issue. People are dying. Humans, children and animals are dying as long as we're not able to address these issues and living rough and living in, in very uncomfortable traumatic lives. And there's something that we can do about that and it, there are solutions available. So thank you so much for listening and, and caring. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the radio Oh, today. it's a pleasure. Before we go, thank you so much to Lisa Craig and Richard Wainwright from My Saving Grace. And thank you so much for Tracy for sharing her story. The outro tune is going to be another one chosen by Anna. It's called Joyful Girl by Annie DeFranco. Tell me about why you chose that song. Oh, it's a couple of lines in it. I do it for the joy it brings because I'm a joyful girl because the world owes me nothing and we owe each other the world. And I think that's kind of the, kind of what I live by is that what can I give? What you know, And I remind myself that it's about joy and it's about love and it's about what we can give, not what we can take. And here is Annie DeFranco, Joyful Girl. Do it for the joy it brings Cause I'm a joyful girl Cause the world owes me nothing We owe each other the world And I do it cause it's the least I can do I do it cause I If this content has created disturbing feelings, please uh, contact Lifeline on 131114. If you are in danger, please call 1800-RESPECT. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.